Thank you, Fernando. And that is appropriate, to be enthused by the reading of God's word. And if we did nothing else than to sing praises and just read God's word and let it stand for us, you know, praise God. But I prepared a sermon, so, so we're going to do that too. But, uh, but praise God for his word. Hey, new, new year, new series. We're going to be preaching through the, the book of Amos, the prophet Amos, uh, through these winter months. And so why Amos? Um, two reasons, both are, I think, important reasons. One is that uh, we haven't preached a prophetic book in quite some time. We want to preach uh, different genres of scripture. So, you know, the Bible is a collection of many different books and many different types of writings. And we want to be familiar with you know, interpreting and understanding as we read God's word, that it's not all the same. It's not all just narrative. It's not all just history. It's, there's all different kinds. There's, there's poetry, and, and there's apocalyptic literature, and there's prophetic literature. And so this is, uh, this is prophecy. Uh, prophets, they speak truth. They speak God's truth into a particular culture. And so God's truth is being spoken into typically cultures that, are, that need to hear it again, sinful cultures. So because it's about calling out sin, you get a lot of rebuke, you get words of judgment, words of warning, and therefore these types of books become unpopular then as they are today uh, because we would prefer just not to hear these things. Um, and, and quite honestly, the, I mean, the other issue why they're somewhat unpopular is they are difficult to interpret in our day these prophecies that were made to these ancient nations. So, and, and we'll pick up on some of that as we go through this. Uh, so it is, so, so that's kind of the first reason is to just expand and to explore this part of scripture. Um, again, may not be as familiar with. The second reason, which maybe is more important, is that the issues that Amos raises in his day really are issues of our day as well. And if you took any populated area, any sort of, successful nation, any kind of prospering type nation, then it, it wouldn't be a stretch to apply a lot of these same things that were going on in Israel in the day of Amos as they would be in, say, our world today. So it's not as, as, as big of a, of a stretch there. Unjust, it was unfair. Uh, there was corrupt politicians and political leaders. There was a lot of social problems. Generally, if we were just to say it. So this is, a, uh, this is a group of people who were supposed to live with justice and with righteousness and, and generally lacked righteousness and justice. Uh, and then worship. There was problems with their worship. There was a lot of religious stuff and worship going on, but it had very little to do with what God had instructed his people and how to worship. And they were doing it kind of on their own terms and uh, sort of building in things from around them, and it was just really ignoring God in a lot of ways in their religious practices. So we had all these, uh, all these problems of their day. And in walks Amos, and he starts speaking God's judgment against God's people for these, these things that were going on in their land. You know, people, they would have been just as happy to say, hey, you know, um, can we just get on with our life, our kind of our comfortable life, and not have to deal with these, some of these bigger problems. And I don't, I mean, I think we would all just kind of like to ignore sin that exists in our own hearts and uh, 
sinful things that happen in our world. And you might even say, you know, Pastor, look, it's New Year's. It, you know, uh, clean slate. You know, we're starting fresh. Let's do, we can do sin in the summertime or maybe in the fall. But let's just see how it goes. Um, I, I hear you. <laughs> let's not just start in on the sin in January. But we, we need to face reality. The reality of our own hearts in our own world. And we always start with God's word when we do that. We see in our world things that are uh, problematic to us, and we have notions of how they should be fixed politically or what types of laws we would need or what type of system we would need. And people have a strong sense, people of faith and people not of faith, people have a strong sense of justice, but too often we bring our sense of justice to God's word. And where we need to start is God's word to help us understand his justice and his righteousness. And so too often we look at things the other way around. So God's word is going to point us to God's heart. God's heart is going to point us uh, to faith, and faith will lead us to action that is good and right and just. But it starts with his word. And so let us pray as we approach it. Father, as we begin this new series and as we begin a new year, and in many ways a new season for many we submit. We submit it to you and your will. We submit ourselves to your word. We pray that you would use this powerfully in, in our community and beyond as we grow in our faith and as we seek to live as citizens of your kingdom in our day to the places you've called us to, Lord. So may it be, and may it be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so right off in, in the first verse here, we, we see this is the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel. So this is Amos. He's from Judah, which is a southern nation. So God's people were all Israel, but it splits into two nations at one point. So he's in the southern nation, kind of lives near the border, and he's called to prophesy in, in Israel. So he's sort of a, sort of a foreigner. And we're going to talk more about Amos and who he was and where he came from in the weeks to come. We actually don't know a lot about him, but a little bit. But this is his vision concerning Israel. So the, the, the thrust of all that he's going to say in this book as we study through it is for Israel. This is God's people who are supposed to be living under God's law. And he starts off in verse 2, he says, The lion roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. This is just great imagery. He starts his, he starts his prophetic ministry and he says, God is thundering. God is roaring like the lion. And there's, you know... We live in a pretty safe world, but there's certain things that'll still make your hair stand up, you know, on the back of your neck. A good thunderstorm, the one that kind of shakes the house, and I kind of like them, they're kind of thrilling, but yeah, you just, that's when you just feel small and when you hear the thunder. Or if you've ever heard a lion, and most of us haven't, but, or maybe even at a zoo, and you know it's behind bars, but if you hear that, the roar... And you just know that you feel very powerless. And here's this uh, shepherd, this kind of a nobody 
from a foreign country, and he's just, this is God's thunder. This is God's roar. And he just lets them have it. It's great. Uh, so we see that this is a, primarily a message to Israel, but he starts right off by calling judgment to all these foreign nations, and that was the text that was read for us today, to all these nations that are surrounding Israel. And he does this, and he, he blasts these foreign nations. It's all just a big setup. So he's going to start naming all the sins of these nations around Israel. And you've got to imagine, if you're from Israel and you're hearing this, you're like, yeah, our neighbors are pretty nasty people. And they've, those kings have done some terrible atrocities to people. And it's just all kind of going around. And it's like, and then next week, we'll look at right at you, Israel and Judah. You know, it's not just these foreign pagan nations. It is God's people. So what we see this week is really kind of a big setup. Um, you know, God's people, you know, you're the ones who have the law of Moses. You're the ones who should know better. These other nations are doing these terrible things, and they will be judged for it, but it's really about you. But this does kind of beg the question about God judging nations. Do we have a collective responsibility before God for the sins of a few people or for the sins of individuals, families, or clans of people responsible for sins. And we see that and we think about it and say, well, that kind of seems unfair. Shouldn't it just all be individualistic? And it is easier to understand individual responsibility, that I'm responsible for my behavior, you're responsible for yours. We're all going to have to stand before the Lord someday and face judgment. So primarily, yes, it is our individual uh, sin and our individual response and really repentance of that sin that God will judge us for, but that doesn't obliterate the fact that there are corporate evils and that God's blessing and God's judgment uh, extends to larger groups of people. But you're not asking that question. That's not, you didn't wake up thinking about that today. The question you are asking right now, though, is will God hold America responsible for what's going on in our nation, for whatever sin or injustices happen around us. And that's a really, you know, collectively. So that's hard to answer that question. I would say two things. It is really easy to overemphasize that, and I've heard a lot of people overemphasizing this, this whole, um, you know, kind of America's role in God's redemptive purposes. And, um, you know, as if America was some sort of holy nation, you know, God's chosen instrument for the world. No. Um, God's chosen instrument for the world is his church. And even the founders of our nation acknowledged that the church was one entity and this country was another. And, and a lot of people had common understanding of God and of um, dignity of human life because, you know, equality that flows from that. Freedom, notions of freedom that were very Christian. But our founders said, no, the church is one entity and the, the state is different. Um, so our primary, our primary allegiance is to Christ's kingdom and not our nation. But if our primary allegiance is more towards our nation, we can overemphasize you know, this idea like God's going to remove his hand of blessing or this kind of idea. Um, but on the, on the flip side, I think we can under, um, sort of underemphasize 
the collective nature of, of sin and how we experience it culturally. Meaning, we can easily say, look, I repent of my sins, God forgives me, he's going to save me, and therefore I'm not responsible for anything that happens around me and my culture, and you know, what am I going to do anyway? I'm just one person. Um, so I think that would be, an, I think both of those things are errors. I think we need to live into the tension of, yes, we're individually responsible people, but yeah, God cares about what nations do. Um, and certainly, yes, God will hold his church responsible. That is our primary, um, as God's people, we need to do what is right and just, even if our laws or even if our, our nation does not. And so we need to, that's our primary, but it doesn't obliterate the fact that we you know, are called to be part of the places where God has called us to be a blessing to our cities, to seek the shalom of our, of our region and in our, our world. So um, we live in this tension. So however we answer that question, we'll actually circle back to that later, but however we answer that question, when we see God's judgment of nations, and again, these are foreign nations and these are ancient nations, we see God's heart. And God is uh, holding them responsible for their sin. And no, they didn't have the written law of Moses like Israel did, but they did have the law of God, God that's written on the human heart. That there is a certain standard of right and wrong that God has built into humanity because we are, because every human is created in God's image and therefore has some sense of, of right and wrong. And, and these six nations, I'm going to look at all six of them real quick, but they all have very different sins, but if you look at them together, it's all about um, human life and human relationship and valuing human life and human relationship. And they, you can see how it gets violated here. Um, so let's look at these quickly, these three. Actually, three pairs of nations. So it's, gonna, it's six, but I'm going to look at it in three. The first, is, the first two nations, we see human-to-human type of relationship. So in verse 3, judgment is called on Damascus because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Um, This is an act of brutality or some kind of barbaric type killing of people, a genocide perhaps. Whatever specific instance this is referring to, the people would have known it in their day. It's a little distant from us. But this is the unnecessary destruction of human lives. Um, Unnecessary torture or tearing apart of human beings. Then we see the second nation in verse 6, judgment against Gaza because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. Uh, This was uh, slave trading for no real purpose other than for their own gain. This This is full communities of people who were just taken and sold like cattle. And, and again, this is, violates human dignity to do this. It's one thing if you're at war with someone and you take prisoners of war and you exile them or you enslave them for whatever reason, uh, but this is, it's another thing to take peaceful people who are not, you're not at war with or you're not attacking and just, just sell them just for profit. These are, this is, these are sins, human against human sin, and God is, is judging that. It's okay, well, those, I don't struggle with those sins. I'm not tearing people apart. I'm not selling other humans. 
um, good. But how we view every other human is the same principle here. Do I see every other person on this earth as fully human, just as I am, as created in the image of God, as I am? Do I see anyone as in any way less human or have less value than me? Or do I wish someone to be dead or a group of people to be dead in some way or another? Okay, so those are sins that we would struggle with, that are the same human-to-human interaction that God is, that that these nations have violated and God is now bringing judgment against human to human. The second pair here, we see the sins brother to brother. So the first one's human to human. This is brother to brother. In verse 9, we see judgment against Tyre um, because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom. Sounds like the same sin. Disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. So now this is another act of enslaving people and selling them but it's specifically in violation of an agreement between nations, brother to brother, between people groups, and and violating, breaking a promise. And then in verse 11, we see judgment against Edom because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. This is a, a nation that had persistent hatred towards another, and an unwillingness to forgive or reconcile or whatever it was, it's a persistent hatred. So the brother-to-brother sin, one is about breaking promises and the other is about not reconciling or an inability to forgive. Keeping promises. It's kind of a simple one. Jesus actually talked a lot about keeping promises in his teaching. Perhaps 2020 is a year that you need to keep a promise. I was convicted, I was convicted of, the, of this this week. That there was, there's a promise I've made, a project that I'm working on with some people, and I haven't done my part of the project, and I'm, I've been putting it off, putting it off, and I felt like, you know what, Lord, it, it's, it's no longer just me. It's, it's being faithful to God's call to, to, to this particular project, and maybe there's things in your life that, you know what, I have promises that I need to keep. And then the the other part of this is the unforgiveness. You know, is 2021 a year where you've been harboring anger or unforgiveness and it's been festering and you know that you need to deal with it, but you just, you've been putting it off for whatever reason that we need to forgive, forgive a brother, forgive a friend, forgive a spouse. We can hold that bitterness and it brings about anger, and then sinful action. Now, in here, in this case, it was, you know, murder and war. But that same sin lives in our human heart. Brother to brother, how can we be reconciled to one another? How can we keep our promises and forgive one another? The third pair of uh, nations here is about sin from the strong to the weak. So not just human to human, not just brother to brother, but from that which is strong to that which is weak. Verse 13 speaks of the sin of the nation, of, of the nation Ammon, uh, because he ripped open pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. So this is an atrocity of vulnerable, against vulnerable people, not soldiers, but against women, pregnant women, and against their unborn children. These are the most vulnerable in a society 
and this is this a nation is doing this just to extend their borders, just to extend their reach and their authority, and they've taken life in this way. And again, if we are people who believe in the dignity of human life, of um, of men and women and the unborn, I mean our our view of this through scripture is that life, even unborn human life, is precious to God. And that's why we believe what we do. And that's why um, some of what's been going on in our day, in our, even in the state of Massachusetts, uh, the new, there's new abortion laws. And they should be very troubling to us because of, it, this was just last week. It was vetoed by the governor and then it was overridden. Um, because of the nature of late-term abortion, because of the lack of consent that minors need to, to have abortion, uh, this is very troubling. But it's also a complicated issue because we, you know, on the surface, it seems like a very straightforward issue, that it's just very kind of black and white. Um, but we know that there are, there are social structures and dynamic around women that help them to you know, keep, to choose to keep their babies and to, um, to bring them to term. And there's a lot of complicated factors involved in that. So we want to look at this holistically, you know, caring for the life of, of the baby, but also the life of the mother and the life of children who are born and how they are cared for and nurtured and the resources that they need to thrive and to, to live as part of our communities. So anyway, so this act here is is the strong destroying the weak for their own gain. And then the last one is Moab, against strong to weak, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. <laughs> if, if, a, if an unborn child is vulnerable, then what about a dead person? I mean, this is desecrating a grave unnecessarily uh, just for the sake of making a statement or getting revenge an atrocity against the dead. Um, we treat even human bodies with decency because we understand that humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. God created all things and he creates humanity to reflect his image and there's a beauty to that. Um, so these acts of strong against weak, and again, these may seem very distant to you today, these kind of sins. I don't, you know, I'm not struggling with these things. Yet it's about taking ambition at somebody else's cost. You know, pursuing my own desires, but in the process pushing other people down. Um, anyway, I could go on about that. Um, but here we have these six nations, again, Sins human against human, sins brother against brother, sins strong against the weak. And these nations are held accountable for their acts of inhumanity. And at the most basic level, we are called to love, uh, to, to see other people as created in the image of God, as a beautiful creation. Yes, broken by sin, but that there is a dignity to humanity. So the question is, what would Amos say to us? So if God sent Amos to the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts, uh, southern New Hampshire, and he's going to thunder God's word against us, what would he call out? 
you know, would he call out our care for the poor? Would he call out the unnecessary destruction of human life? Would he mention abortion? Would he um, speak about our care for under-resourced populations? Would he point to the high rates of child abuse or sexual abuse or treatment of women? What would he call out? Would he call out racism? Would he call out churches that have abandoned the Bible as God's word? What would Amos call out for us? Of course, it's all hypothetical, right? And we don't need Amos because we have Jesus. We we don't need an Amos because we have God's word to hold up to as a mirror to look into, to judge our own hearts. And the ju- this ju- any judgment that you see in Scripture, it really does foreshadow the, the final judgment, that there will be judgment against us. And will you be able to stand? When that lion roars, will you stand? So what do we do? First thing is just check your own heart. As you read this kind of Scripture, you read these judgments, you can think about other people's sin all you want. But what is God showing you in your own heart? Can you take inventory as you start a new year and think about my actions and my attitude towards other people and what, how is God calling to heal me in that? And remember that however God judges you and at whatever time that happens, know that none of us could stand under his holiness except that the roaring lion became a lamb, became a sacrifice to take the punishment that we all deserve for our sin, for all the part that we've contributed to the injustices of the world, that that we are all responsible, but he takes it on that we can have forgiveness. The lamb died for you, and we can receive forgiveness. And we go back to that, and we receive it, and then we press on towards that which is good, what he prepared us for. Let us pray. Father, as as we launch out and as we consider these things, Lord, we do pray. You're constantly doing your work on our hearts. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you're a God who has not just dismissed us and not just let us go away in our sin, but you've come and you've rescued us and you are forming something better and good. It's something that will bring about goodness in our world as we live it out, Lord. Help us not to be discouraged by what we see around us, but help us be convicted of our own sin, Lord. Freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.